Welcome to another episode of Black Women Think, where black women and those who love them think at the intersections of race, gender, and religion toward the flourishing of black women everywhere. I am your host, Dr. Ebony Marshall Terman, and this is a Black Women Think production. Let's go. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to my first episode of Black Women Think Race, Gender, and Religion. I'm so excited to be um, launching this project. It's been on my heart to do for quite some time and um, I'm just getting to it now and I'm really excited to see how it goes, how we are able to think together across these intersections of race, of blackness, of gender, specifically um, uh, black womanhood and um, and religion. And so uh, let's just jump right in to our, um, our conversation for this week, um, which is going to start with the black woman of the week, right? Because where else would we start? And um, this week's Black Woman of the Week is none other than Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. So many of you know that um, Lifetime premiered the eagerly awaited authorized uh, biopic, The Clark Sisters, First Ladies of Gospel, earlier this month. So if you have not seen it, then you need to see it. You are missing out, especially if you... Um, have any interest, love for the Black church, um, for the Church of God in Christ, this is a must-see. So uh, I know, uh, I think Fandango is definitely streaming it. I'm not sure about Netflix and Hulu, but I'm sure you can get it on demand um, if you have access there. But it's definitely a must-see. The Clark Sisters First Ladies of Gospel Lifetime, excuse me, premiered it um, when they premiered it earlier this month, um, um, like the second week of April and by way of the genius of the film's executive producers, Queen Latifah, Mary J. Blige and Missy Elliott, heavy hitters, black women doing the thing. Um, we were able or are able in the film to peer into the life, um, and the life stories of the five Clark sisters, Twinkie, Karen, Dorinda, Jackie, and Denise. And we're able to follow them from their rise from very humble be beginnings in Detroit to their being the highest selling female gospel group in history under the tutelage, of course, of their trailblazing mother, Dr. Maddie Moss Clark, who, I mean, just was a powerhouse uh, in her own right, is a legend um, in her own right. She was, you know, on paper, she was the International Minister of Music for Kojic. When I say on paper, I mean, I'm listing her accolades, but she was much bigger than, you know, just the accolades, right? She was a phenom. She um, held, I, I believe, the longest tutelage, um, or the longest tenure, rather, as the music minister, the international minister of music for Kojic, Church of God in Christ. 
She was classically trained in music and choral singing. She was one of the first people ever to teach and conduct a mass choir that consisted of, um, um, you know, persons from a bunch of different choirs. Um, she was just uh, a phenomenal woman who also taught her daughters how to sing, who also taught her daughters how to sing together, who nurtured their gifts, who managed them into um, what some would say unparalleled stardom, especially in the gospel world. And she did all of this in ways based on what the movie reveals, again, as an authorized um, pick. She did this in a way that have those of us who love the black church talking, whispering, gossiping about who Maddie Moss Clark really was, right? And there are these, you know, um, there's this chatter among, um, uh, you know, among a certain cohort um, identifying or characterizing her as a batterer, as abusive, as um, patriarchal. And, uh, you know, of course, she's my black woman of the week. So I don't think I'm buying into that um, characterization of Maddie Moss Clark. I actually want to say three things about her um, that really just resonate with me. And I say these things as someone who is a good Baptist, who is not Kojic. So I'm not trying to make a um, kind of theological argument um, emerging from a Kojic perspective. I'm just trying to um, note some of my observations as a good Baptist. Um, my first has to do with the idea of um, this idea of uh, Dr. Clark as a batter, you know, as patriarchal. You know, I, I guess an argument could be made for um, the heavy hand that she um, really um, ruled is probably the wrong word. But for lack of a better word, you know, the heavy hand with which she ruled her household. And um, I think we have to remember when we think about Maddie Moss Clark that she was... Um, you know, herself, as the film reveals, a battered woman, not only by and, and through her own relationships, um, her own intimate relationships, rather with her, her spouse, at least one of them. She was married twice, but um, also by her daughter's spouse. Like what? OK, that's that's another conversation for another time. But, you know, she was a battered woman. Um, she was um, being physically violated again in her household by her spouse, um, who was, uh, you know, a part of the patriarchy of Kojic at that time. And then she was, you know, battered within the context of the church itself that she actually in many ways, you know, really drew a spotlight toward in her time through music. And um, that is that is all on top of or in tandem, at least in tandem with 
kind of the fundamental um, uh, injustices that black women are subject to in the public square. Right. Um, So. Yeah, she ruled with a heavy hand. She didn't play, you know, she didn't take any mess from her daughters. She had a vision and she um, endeavored. She had a vision for her daughters and she uh, raised them um, toward that vision. And uh, part of that was, you know, really driving them, you know, driving them toward what she understood as success and how she figured success would look for them. And, you know, I I don't know, maybe it's because I, um, you know, grew up as one of several children um, with a, you know, uh, a divorced mother um, who demanded a certain level of excellence Um, you know, maybe it's because I grew up also kind of, I was nurtured within, um, the arts, the black arts community that, you know, also demanded, um, you know, excellence demanded a certain kind of rigor and a certain kind of approach to one's craft. Um, but I feel like, you know, with the many obstacles that face uh, black women and black children, um, black youth in general, um, you know, it is often the case that our parents have had to come down on us and really direct us in the way that they, you know, in, in, in the path that they understood as a, the successful one, which could veer from our own understandings of success, but was really the way that they knew. And I'm not sure that that automatically qualifies as abuse, right? I'm not sure it automatically, of course, we know that there are markers of abuse. We know what those look like, but I just, you know, I, I, I'm uncomfortable with, you know, um, labeling Clark as an abuser or as a batterer. Um, I mean, where is the line, right? Where is the line between, um, between demanding excellence and being a batterer? You know, I think that there is, there definitely is a line, but I'm not sure that Maddie Moss Clark is towing that line. But just to go back to this idea about having a vision for her daughters, I just find that so powerful in and of itself, right? And for a woman to have a vision for her daughters, for that to automatically be, um, you know, to the, for that to automatically translate as, you know, abuse or patriarchal or I mean clearly her daughters were able to maneuver were were able to find their way and in many ways to assert themselves over against their mother um at at the at the appropriate time um but I I just think it's really I think it's there's something about, there's something very rich about Clark's having 
a vision for her daughters and, you know, how that interacts or intersects with how we think about young black women or black girls and what kinds of visions we have for them, for their success, for their um, uh, capacity to excel, for their gifts, right? A vision for their gifts that, yes, they may um, buck up against, right? When they are able to kind of when they come into the age of consciousness and are able to really articulate for themselves who they are and what they're called to be in the world. Um, But I mean, does it matter? I mean, what is the value of our saying, here's the starting line? You know what I'm saying? You know, this is the starting line. Let's see where we can get you. Let's see where you can go. Right. Um, As they build the strength and as they build the presence of mind um, and as they build the giftedness. Right. To to then make those decisions for themselves. I don't know. I, I just I'm just, you know, that's all. I want to say on that. Where's the line between excellence and abuse? Let me back up and say, you know, I, when I was um, training as a young dancer, I, you know, <laughs> that line between excellence and abuse. I mean, I'm sure many of you can um, relate, you know, I'm sure many of you listening are artists in, you, you know, in your own right. Maybe you also uh, trained as musicians or vocalists or um, dancers or visual artists or um, musicians. But, right, I mean, I think we all had a teacher who was like, no, do it again. No, is wrong. Who raised their voice at us, who told us, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, get it right or get out, essentially, you know, do it 50 more times. I mean, this was like the ethic of um, all of my best um, teachers in life, right, was kind of that tough, heavy handedness that demanded more and that demanded better and demanded that we, you know, um, you know, that we really live into our fullest potential, uh, that I really live into my fullest potential. And um, I guess, you know, when when you mix that with theology, um, and, um, kind of belief systems that may be a bit, uh, um, sexist and antiquated, then, you know, I guess it could be read as, um, you know, a bunch of different things, right? I think patriarchy and I mean, I think that that's, it's all real, but I'm not sure that we can just, um, you know, throw Maddie Moss Clark away, you know, because of the reality of her time. I think, you know, we give so many brothers a pass and she doesn't even need a pass, right? I mean, she was just dope and she had a vision for her girls. But like, mm -mm, we can't talk about Dr. Clark that way. Mm -mm, We can't do it. We just can't do it. Um, Two other notes on our Black Women of the Week. I just want to put a pin in this, um, the patriarchy at work in Kojic and more broadly in the Black church and what she was up against. She was out here doing uh, more for the church uh, in terms of its um, public-facing identity than 
most any of those preachers. I mean, she is the name that um, we remember um, the story of Jesus, uh, you know, in um, the alabaster box and, you know, the woman who would be remembered because of what she gave, what she poured out for Jesus, you know, that that is coming to me. And, um, you know, we remember her name. We remember her. Uh, and not all the men who sat around the table judging her and condemning her. And so, you know, I just, um, you know, oof. okay, moving on. So um, the last thought around Maddie Moss Clark and the Clark sisters is this broad idea uh, about the black church birthing some of our, our most brilliant black artists and intellectuals. And certainly this is not a cover all. Everybody did not come through the black church. Um, and we, we know that, right. Um, but so many did, whether or not they stayed in it or rebelled against it, or really just kind of, you know, turned from it, um, and chose another path. Um, so many of our most, um, brilliant, most renowned, most profound kind of artists were born in, in the black church, you know, and had a mother or a father or, you know, an auntie or a godmother who was in the church. It's where they first learned, you know, how to sing or, uh, how to move or, you know, how to clap on beat, you know, which is not something to be taken lightly. So, we got to give um, the black church props, especially in this COVID time where, you know, we are separated from our church buildings and from um, the kind of um, in the, the fleshly um, fellowship of the saints, you know, where we're all worshiping from our respective homes. I think we need to just, um, you know, I think we need to give props where props are due and the imagination, the creativity and the genius um, that the black church has really um, given to the world uh, is just um, is remarkable. And when you see um, films like the Clark sisters and when you hear stories narrating um, uh, these, you know, these the, you know, just the magnitude of the gift and of the giftedness and it's kind of, and it's beginnings in, 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 um, in black churches born, as I always say, you know, at the interstices of abolition and enslavement, um, born of slave religion, you know what I'm saying? Like when we, when we recognize that we just have to, we have to give it up for, um, you know, for the progeny, um, of, of our churches. I um thinking about uh corona um covid-19 also known as the roni also known as miss rona depending on where you're from and who you're with I've been um I've been thinking about the effects of the virus on black communities since you know since really since we got wind of it here in New York City which is where I'm recording from and I've been thinking about from the very beginning um, the ways that structural injustice across the board, so economic injustice, employment disparities, healthcare inequity, housing discrimination, 
um, the inherent biases and in politics of mass transit systems, environmental incongruences, tech gaps, information lags, like all of these structural injustices would make it such that black people, brown people, black people would be disproportionately represented among the mass casualties of the virus. So I expected this. Um, I expected that we would suffer greatly, um, that we would be, um, um, you know, really, I mean, here in New York, the number of people that um, are no longer with us um, is just, I mean, I don't know how it feels in other places uh, in the nation, but it's just when I count the number of people who are gone, like were here last week and are gone today. It's just, um, it's just, it's crazy. And so um, I think I knew this would be the case because when white America, as we have all heard, catches a cold, you know, black America catches pneumonia in both lungs. You know what I'm saying? So I knew this, but what I was not expecting, my friends, was for when the stay-at-home orders came down for white folks, by and large, to start crying foul, talking about how their freedom is being infringed upon. Like, I, for some reason, did not expect MAGA devotees looking like pre-existing conditions, okay? Storming, I didn't expect them to be storming the capitals of various cities carrying assault rifles talking about I am Rosa Parks. Okay, Lord, um, this is enough to give me a heart attack. I just, I was not expecting that. But when I think about it in retrospect, Um, I don't understand how I could possibly be surprised, right? Um, I don't understand how I could possibly be surprised because the reality is that this is not the first time that Europeans have endeavored, um, or rather asserted their right essentially to be super spreaders of viruses that would disproportionately kill people of color. So like the whole American project, the whole project of the Americas right, um, has been just that. Just ask like the the Aztecs or the Incas. Oh, I'm sorry, they don't exist anymore. Um, smallpox and influenza, you know. Just ask that um, uh, uh, those infected blankets given to indigenous communities as part of the genocide or the logic of genocide at the heart of... Um, um, American identity? What about the experimentation on enslaved black women that birthed the field of obstetrics and gynecology? You know, let's think about the Tuskegee experiment and all the contemporary ways in which the bodies and reproductive capacities of black people, brown people, poor people are continue to be, um, uh, exploited, right. And experimented on, I mean, just the other day, you know, they were talking about, um, politicians in New York were talking about how persons living in New York city, um, housing, um, NYCHA, New York, New York city housing authority, the projects, public housing, um, 
would be given, they would, they would be subject to some kind of test. I don't know if it was the antibody test or just regular testing first before anyone else. And it just struck me. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, testing is good and we want people tested, but it just struck me as odd that, you know, the first kind of test subjects broadly construed would be folks living in um, New York City public housing. I don't know. Maybe I have that suspicion of my grandparents and my great grandparents where like you don't let nobody don't let nobody stick you with anything. Don't let nobody cut anything off of you. Right. Like don't go to the dot. Maybe I have that kind of suspicion. Um, but I just I just find it interesting and I'm going to be watching that. Anyway, this idea that we have the right to kill you for the sake of capitalist acquisition or the economy, we've got to get the economy going back, which is just a neoliberal logic, uh, you know, that that is what the auction block was. Right. We have to sell you so we can, um, you know, acquire wealth. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on, son. Like. Mm. But then on top of it, the MAGA devotees storming the capitals with their assault rifles are going to have the nerve to invoke one of our mother's names to affirm their mess. Right. I am Rosa Parks. Sir. What? No, you're not. Okay. And I mean, above all else, if you knew anything about Rosa Macaulay Parks, okay, you would know that her work, her life's work, but most especially the work that you're trying to, um, um, conjure right in your little uh evil machinations machinations you know um to get the economy going again even though there's a deadly virus disproportionately killing uh black and brown people uh at loose in in the world um her whole work was about starving the capitalist system right right i mean it was a boycott that she, uh, by and large, compelled. It was a starving of the beast of capitalism, right? It wasn't getting the economy started again. It was shutting, shut, shutting it down, right? So that people could approximate a new kind of life, a new kind of living, a new kind of being together. So... Bottom line is keep Rosa Parks name out of your filthy mouths, your filthy MAGA mouths. I can't. With that, I need something for my soul. I need something for my soul. This week, I've been thinking about the 23rd Psalm and um, you should read it. It's in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. 
if you don't know it by heart, maybe you can make that one of your projects for the week or the, the next month, the 23rd Psalm. There's um, one specific part of the psalm that uh, was really resonant for me over the course of the last week, you know, in between dealing with, you know, um, you know, the patriarchalizing of Maddie Moss Clark on the one hand, and then the MAGA devotees uh, invoking the name of Rosa Parks to affirm their madness on the other. I needed the word of the Lord. And um, this is where I was led to the 23rd Psalm. And uh, toward the end of the psalm, um, you find words like these, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I don't know. I was feeling very anxious um, last week and very frightened. Um, You know, I have two infants and I um, live in New York City. I live in an apartment building with a lot of other people. I'm pretty much um, homebound. I have a pretty nice view, but I don't have a balcony. And so getting outside is really tough. Um, The lines for the grocery store are really long and you can't get a delivery slot. I mean, it's really hard to get a delivery slot for groceries. Everything's just really, really, really challenging. And so I was becoming um, overwhelmed and something said, read the psalm. And when I got to this part of the psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall fall. I just, it just really calmed me down and helped me. And I felt like with all of the negativity and all of the anxiety and all of the um, stress that is upon us as a community and upon me um, in a very personal way, uh, I felt um, comforted by this word, you know, by by um, engaging the word of God that essentially is telling me that, you know, goodness and mercy are with me. Not only are they with me, but they're following me. They're on my tail. They're, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're going to catch me um, no matter what else is going on around me. You know, that this is what God has for me, right? This is what my shepherd has for me, um, goodness and mercy. And so I, I just was clinging to that. Um, all week and it really um, helped me and I want to offer it to you. I want to offer this psalm to you um, to reflect on if you're in need of a devotion for the for the week and 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 specifically this idea that God um, as the one who guides us and as the one who leads us through all manner of chaos and trial and tribulation even, you know, as the, as the scripture says, the valley of the shadow of death, that, that goodness and mercy can follow us even there. And, um, for me, I just envisioned, I have two daughters, so I envisioned one as goodness and one as mercy, since they're always kind of these days, you know, one on one hit, one on the other. And I'm like, yeah, you know, goodness and mercy right there. Oh Lord. So, um, 
yeah, that's how I made it through last week. We'll see what happens this week and where the Lord leads me in my devotional reflection. So we're coming to the end of our time for this first episode uh, of Black Women Think. And in closing, I want to lift up two phenomenal women who are doing some really innovative things during this COVID-19 season. So the first is um, a young woman. Her name is um, Aisha Mitchell, and she self-identifies on um, Instagram as an adventurer, a dancer, a yogi, and an artist, formerly of the Alvin American Dance Theater. She is one of the most beautiful artists and one of the best human beings that I know. And I am lifting her up because she has partnered with several of her close friends and colleagues in the industry to offer to the world a, quote, social distancing series, end quote. It's focused on dance, movement, and wellness. And every day she's offering with her colleagues a series of yoga classes, dance classes, healthy cooking classes, and meditation opportunities. Um, all of these are available. All of these opportunities are available on Instagram and you can participate in them from the social distancing safety of your own home. So if you need to stretch your body, get yourself going, you need an idea for a new meal, or you want to just try some new kinds of movement, some meditation, you need to get over to Instagram and follow Aisha at a leg a day. That's right. A leg a day, A-L-E-G-A-D-A-Y, a leg a day, and get your entire life together. And also, I want to lift up um, another young woman, Gertie Renee Gordon. She is the sole proprietor and principal of the Beauty Boutique New York, and she's trying to... Um, she is making efforts toward helping black women not be destroyed uh, aesthetically by this quarantine. Okay, somebody say amen. Um, Gertie is offering free phone and video conference hair consultations so that she can personalize a hair care regimen for you and send, she will send the products directly to you at home. She's got everything. She's got shampoo, conditioner, leave-in, moisturizer, brushes, pins, whatever you need, she's got it. Because in these last and evil days, suave and dark and lovely just might not do it. No shade. So if you are struggling with your mane, you don't know what to do, it's a little dry, you know, you need some moisturizer, you need some help, hit Gertie up on Instagram at the boutique NY, the boutique B-O-U-T-I-Q-U-E-N-Y, and let her help you be your best self. So shout out to Aisha Mitchell and shout out to Gertie Renee Gordon for the work that they are doing. Um, especially to support black women, but to support all people who are um, trying to make it through this quarantine. All right, y'all, that's the show for today. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad you did. I hope you'll be back um, next week to all the thinking 
black women and those who love us listening in. I'll be here next week thinking about race, gender, and religion. Until then, keep the faith. This is a Black Women Think production.